this morning, what's on the brain is the word sanctification, is the word sanctification, and I'm looking so forward to what the Lord's going to do into this house, this house this morning. But the title of the message is, Why Does It Matter? The series is, Why Does It Matter? Why does it matter? Why do these four words right here that you see on the screen this morning, why do they matter? Well, we're going to talk about it, of course, right? And we're going to see and we're going to apply it to our lives. And hopefully God does something for you in these next four weeks. And I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask right now, God, that you would be with us. God, this would be an extension, Lord, of your worship this morning, God. God, that you would help me, Lord, to convey to these people, Lord, what you have for them. God, these words that are not my words, God, but they're your words. And God, I ask that you would bless us. God, and we honor you this morning. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. You know, I believe the Lord is going to open up our minds this morning. He's going to open up our minds this morning and make us think about what it means to be continually transformed continually transformed and to be more like him. You know, my definition this morning, and it comes from Daniel's dictionary, okay, not Webster's, so don't, don't quote me on this, but uh, for me, sanctification is God actively, okay, actively and continually transforming you to be more like Jesus. A simple definition of sanctification uh, when, when pastor and I were talking about this this week, I, I kind of mentioned to him that, you know, I, I did not grow up in the uh, church of God. I, I started my life in the church of God the first five years. And then I moved on to the assemblies with my family and, uh, we were there for, you know, many great years, but, um, and then of, of course I'm back in the church of God and it's beautiful and it's a great thing, but, uh, something that was not taught a whole lot was sanctification and that's nothing against the assemblies. Okay. But something that wasn't taught very often was the word sanctification until I got here. And one of the first thing Cam Jones asked me was, are you sanctified? And I was like, what? You know, I didn't know, I didn't know quite what he was talking about. I was like, uh, sure. Right. But you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful word that I think is something that as Christians, we must apply to our lives. This isn't a word that we should just skip over. Okay, because it's an older word or a a word used um, further back in the day. But I believe that sanctification is a word that we have to apply to our lives. Anybody heard the term uber Christian before? Anybody use that before? No? Okay, I guess I'm, I'm speaking to an older crowd this morning, all right? But, but an uber-Christian, okay? It's not something I use all the time, trust me, okay? But I've heard a teen say it a time or two. You're uber-Christian. What are you talking about, right? But an uber-Christian, it's been thrown out there quite a bit over the recent years, but it's a thought, or the thought, okay, of looking at someone who we believe to be closest to God's work. Someone closest to God's work. Uh, when you think about that, that uber-Christian phrase, okay, it's like a model Christian, okay? You can look at somebody in your life and think, man, they are a model Christian. I want to be just like them, okay? It could be somebody that might be traveling overseas sharing the gospel or somebody serving the poor, but somebody that's got their spiritual selves figured out. Somebody that has their uh, spiritual selves figured out. And sometimes, and sometimes, okay, we can even view pastors in the same exact way. 
But oftentimes we may see this group of people and think, you know, that's like the varsity team, right? I'm going to speak in sports terms this morning. That's the varsity team. That's the A team, okay? Those are the people that are uber Christians, right? They're the closest to God. And then while there's the rest of us, okay, that are on this JV squad that are just hoping that the coach is going to put us in the game, okay? We're riding the bench, all right? We, we don't know when we're going to get our time. But the crazy thing about this is that this isn't the case in Scripture. This has nothing, uh, this, this varsity and JV, this is something that we make up in our minds. It has nothing to do with Scripture. Jesus doesn't have a varsity, and he doesn't have an A team, okay? He doesn't have a JV, a B team, or, or a C, whatever, down the line. He's not waiting for you to get your act together in order to be able to serve him and do something for him. Jesus has a very different view. He's got a different plan for our lives other than trying to live up to some next level type of stuff. This next level of sharing the gospel. So we're going to be in Philippians 2 quite a bit today. And and, uh, while you're turning there, if you have your Bible this morning or if you have your phone, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And of course, we're going to have it up on the screen this morning. And I'm reading out of the NIV. And it says this in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse, starting verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, okay? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose Going down to verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So first off, Paul says, therefore, and this makes me think back to Pastor Jones, <laughs> because he always said, if there's a therefore, there's going to be something coming after it, right? And I always think of that. But Paul says, therefore, okay, which of course makes you wonder why the therefore is there. So right before this, Paul has unpacked a theologically rich poem. And man, I wish I could write like Paul. But he, he, he uh, writes this poem, and it's about the nature of Jesus and his incarnation, his coming into our world. And the central theme of this poem that Paul wrote was humility. Man, that's a tough word. <laughs> humility. Humility. So starting in verse 5, it says this. We're going to go back now. But starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That 
at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father to glory, the God of father. The passage we're looking at is building this foundation that Jesus is a humble savior. That whole entire thing that I just read speaks humble, right? Speaks humility. He came to serve, right? And that's one of my favorite phrases. And my kids would be able to tell you by heart. That's one of my favorite phrases is that we come to serve and not to what? Be served, right? Jesus came to our earth to die on that cross because he was there to what? Serve others. He wasn't there for himself, okay? He was there for others. Paul goes on to remind the Philippians to keep obeying Jesus. Even though Paul is currently in prison, okay? And he has no idea what's going on, all right? He's not there in the flesh to, to witness their obedience. But he says something profound, all right? And this is something that I, if you don't get anything else out this morning, all right? Uh, this is something that you need to pinpoint this morning. He says something profound. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If I could put this in big, bold letters behind me this morning, I would. But work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So when you think of that, and we're going to stop here and pause for a second. We're thinking, work out your salvation, right? As a question, work out your salvation because doesn't this go against one of the central truths of Christianity that we can't save ourselves by our own works? We cannot save ourselves by our own works because Paul himself writes in Ephesians, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not on your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, but what? So that may, that, that no one may boast. So I want to ask you this morning, is Paul being inconsistent in this? And to me, in reading it and studying it, I don't think so. I don't think that he's being inconsistent because if we keep reading on in Ephesians 2, what does it say? The verse right after that, it says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God didn't just prepare these works for you to sit around. You know, one of the toughest things for us as Christians sometimes is uh, that we have that opportunity where God is pulling on our heartstrings to go and talk to somebody. And we just won't do it. We just say, no, somebody else will be better at that. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible says that God prepared those works beforehand. Before you were even born, God prepared your life, right? He prepared you in advance. And he says what? We should walk in them. We, can, we should walk in them. To continue the sentence in verse 12, for it is God who works in you. <laughs> I love that. It is God that works in you. 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, there's something going on here in these verses. There, there's something going on that Paul is uh, trying to portray to us. He's saying that you and I need to work hard at our salvation. Because guess what, folks? It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? It's not easy to work out our salvation. We have to work on it. We have to work on it. Even as a, a pastor, I have to work on it every single day. He would tell you the same thing, right? I have my moments. You have your moments. We have to work hard at our salvation because what? God has prepared good works for us. He's prepared good works for us that we're to live out the gospel in our lives. But guess what? He's also saying that we can do nothing without Jesus. You cannot do it on your own. I don't care how strong you are, all right, how strong-willed you are, okay? You cannot do this thing on your own. You cannot do it on your own because God has saved us, what? By grace. He saved us by grace, and God is doing the work in us. He's doing the work in us. You know, as a, as a uh, and I wasn't even going to say this, but God just hit me this morning. You know, as a father of a, uh, of a special needs child, <clears throat> I oftentimes find myself in a corner thinking, I could have done that better. You know, I could have, I could have talked to him differently. I could have, you know, helped him a little bit more than I did. And oftentimes I find myself in this same, you know, in the same realm of, you know, God, why me? Like, why did you choose me? I don't feel like I am fit enough to do this. I don't feel like I'm the person that, that has been uh, placed, not in charge, because I hate that word, but uh, placed, uh, this child has been placed in my hands. And oftentimes I think, you know, why, why me? And I think back to this is that God has prepared my life in advance, right? And not only that, <clears throat> sorry if I get a little emotional this morning about it, but um, you know, I, I find myself so many times like beating myself up over it that I have to remember that he saved me by grace. And at the end of the day, you know, in, in the, in the flesh and the worry that I have, it, it doesn't matter as long as I am doing what God has me to do for him and to teach him and to help him learn. But this statement of being saved by grace and that God is doing a work in us is it's a profound statement and we need to look at it a little bit deeper this morning. But if we only focus on the work out your salvation part of Paul's statement, then we get a moralistic religion. You know, we start with this mindset that I need to really work hard to be a good person. And I need to really work hard to be nice to other people and try really hard to act godly. <laughs> and guess what? If I do these things, God will love me and he will accept me. You know, there was a recent national study done by a group of social scientists who wanted to get a clear picture of the faith of teenagers in America. And let me tell you something, teenagers will tell you anything. 
Just get them in a room for a weekend at Winterfest. You'll know everything about them and their families. So be careful what you tell your, be care, be careful what you tell your kids. But uh, I would say the same thing to mine, all right? But, uh, <laughs> sorry. They surveyed thousands of teens of all ages, asking them questions about how they viewed God spiritually and how they viewed God themselves. What they found uh, that was remarkable was that for Christian teens and young people, okay, the prevailing view of spirituality was something the researchers termed this. Okay, this is what they termed it. It's a three-word uh, three um, phrase. Moralistic therapeutic deism. The moralistic part was the goal of spirit. The summary of this, the moralistic part was the goal of spirituality is to be really good people. <laughs> we have to have good morals. We have to have good manners, be respectful and be nice to everybody, etc. The therapeutic part was God and spirituality exist to make me happy. The more I follow God, the happier I should become. <laughs> I just want you to stay with me for a second. So if I'm not happy, then either God has abandoned me or I have to work harder to get closer to him. The goal is to feel good about myself, to to feel good about myself. And lastly, deism. Deism is a view of God that says God is somewhere out there, right? He's somewhere out there, not active and present in my life unless I ask him to do something for me. God is out in heaven while I live my life here. And sure, God exists, but he doesn't have a direct impact on my everyday decisions. And this is stuff that's being taught. This religion of moralistic, therapeutic deism is completely false, right? It's a bunch of uh, hogwash, okay? It has, no, it has no clarity in the realm that we're speaking in today. Because what does it do? It takes the best truths of Christianity and it twists them just enough to turn what should be a relational movement into a religion. You know, we're not called to just be moral people. I'm here to tell you that this morning. We're not just called to be moral people. We're called to be what? We're called to be godly people. That's what he's called us to be, is to be godly people. To be obedient, like Paul says. To be people with a character like Jesus, transformed from the inside out. That is what he has asked of us, that, that, our, that our minds and our body, our spirit, everything would be what? It would be turned inside out for him. Moralism focuses on my outer actions while Jesus focuses on our hearts. Because if we were all just um, all about uh, moralism and focusing on our actions, we would be a bunch of robots, right? We have to get down to the nitty gritty. And, and what is that? That is our emotions. That is our heart. Where is your heart this morning? Where is your heart this morning? And all of this summed up is the process of sanctification. It's the fact that Jesus is making us more like him, right? So that we can live our days like him. He's making us more like him from the inside out. Every part of your being to be more like him. You know, we're not called to be happy all the time. <laughs> we're not. 
All right. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Even as a Christian, you're not going to be happy all the time. All right. You're not called to be happy. You know, because God is not a big spiritual dose of antidepressant. All right. He's not. He's not. We're called to be holy. We're called to be a holy group of people. Yes, God will bless us. Okay. God's going to bring you joy at times. Thank the Lord. Okay. I don't want to be mad all the time. All right. Heaven's going to be a super awesome place with no more tears, no more pain. But while we're here on earth, Jesus promised this, that we would experience trials and we would experience suffering. And I hope that you guys come back the next several weeks when we're going to discuss even more of this. He said that we're going to experience suffering. We're going to experience trials. In the midst of the worst circumstances, we're called to endure and to pursue Jesus. That's what we're called to do, to endure it. (laughs) And that's, you know, our human flesh is like, I don't want to endure this, right? And, and Jew will tell you quickly that if I have a problem, I want it fixed right then. <laughs> I don't want to endure it. And that's just my human nature. But God's working on me, right? He's calling us to endure the suffering, to pursue Jesus. Because even when the worst of the worst is going on in your life, guess what? He says, continue to pursue me because he's going to make a better way for you. And we have to believe that and have faith in that. We have to rely on his strength instead of our own. You can't do things on your own. I mentioned that earlier. We cannot do this Jesus thing on our own. Okay? We can't do it. It's not going to happen. You'll run yourself ragged. You know, our relationship with Christ is not just based on our emotions, though it does deeply affect our emotions. It's based on what? Christ's unconditional love for you. That's what it's based on. And for me, because he loves us deep, deeply, deeply, whether you feel that or not, sometimes even in your darkest moments, God still loves you. Even when you said something to your coworker that you should not have said, okay, God still loves you. He's working on your hearts. He's working with us. God is not distant. He's right here in our midst. And if you didn't see that power this morning during worship, then you're fooling yourself. God's not distant. He's right here with us. You know, that's the power of the incarnation, that God became a human being so that we could experience him in the deepest possible way, that we could know him. Do you know God? Do you know him? You know, it's not just that Jesus was around 2,000 years ago and then he just bailed. He said, I'm out. Sayonara. You can do it on your own. He didn't say that because the Holy Spirit is here to work within you. He's right here in this room working and living in your heart. You know, that's why Paul says that God works in you. He works in you. He's actively transforming you to be more like Jesus. Actively transforming you to be more like Jesus. Write that down this morning. Because that's sanctification. That's what it's about. You know, it's also a mistake 
to just focus on the last part that God works in you. Because if we ignore the working out your salvation part, then we become what? We become complacent, right? We become lazy Christians. We're thankful that God saved us, right, from, from uh, eternal uh, eternity in hell, but not realizing that we have to be willing to work, right? We have to be willing to uh, work and follow him for the rest of our lives. You know, this, <laughs> this would kind of be like getting married, and the, the day after your wedding, you stop working on loving your spouse, For months and years, you wooed them and you romanced them and said, I do at the altar. And if you've been married, that's a a great time, right? But then all of a sudden, it's just over. You're not willing to do the work anymore. You got the ring, you got the spouse, and now you can just sit back and you can just relax. You can sit in your easy chair, right? You just hope that they did their part while you just coast along. That's not a loving relationship. That's not what it's about, right? One of my favorite quotes comes from this pretty smart guy. (laughs) Much smarter than I, and that doesn't take much, okay? But uh, his name was Dallas Willard, and he says this, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. See, we're saved by grace, right? We didn't earn anything to be saved. You did not die on the cross to be saved. God, or Jesus did that, right? God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. We didn't earn anything to be saved. It was all on God's part. But here's the thing. We're still called, right? We're still called to work hard. We're still called to be disciplined. To be disciplined. To strive to be more like Jesus. And this is all the while while we're trusting that God is still working through us. It's a mystery, but God works in us as we work out our salvation. He's not going to leave you, right? He's not going to bounce, okay? Even when times are tough, he's going to be right there with you, be there for you. So before I close this morning, how do we work out our salvation? How do we work out our salvation? What might that process look like in our own lives? So we're going to go back to verses 14 and 16 again. And Pawnee, if you can get there really quick, um, that would be great. I'm sorry I didn't get that right there for you. But what does it say in verse 14? It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. (laughs) So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. There's three things that I want to point out really quick that you can take from each of those verses. And then I'm going to have Cooper come up here in a second. Paul is encouraging the Philippians to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You know, this is something that I mention to my students whenever we pray them out each and every, I pray to God, help them be a light because that's what God's called us to be, right? Imagine yourself in a cave. You can't even see your hand. That's scary, <laughs> right? You're in this deep, dark cave and you can't even see your hand, but all of a sudden the la- uh, match is lit and there's a little bit of light. Another match is lit. 
there's a little bit more light. And all of a sudden you see these matches just lighting up and lighting up and lighting up. That's the way our lives are supposed to be, right? That's what we are called to do is to be a light to somebody in need that doesn't know to get them out of that dark cave. So how do we shine like, sorry, shine like lights? Paul gives us a few ideas. Number one, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do all things without grumbling or uh, questioning. Stop being a whiner. (laughs) I'm sorry to say that this morning, but stop being a whiner. Stop being a complainer. Quit causing drama. Stop the negative Facebook comments. That'll preach this morning, right? Stop the negative Facebook comments or, or Twitter or Instagram, whatever you use. Okay, I think the kids these days, they like TikTok, all right? Quit doing that. Quit the gossiping. Don't give in to temptation to whine when somebody asks you to serve. I hope that hit a little harder this morning. Don't give in to that temptation. Because guess what? Jesus didn't whine. He didn't didn't whine and complain. He prayed for the person next to him when he was dying. He said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. Our own spiritual growth and progress can be thwarted by our grumbling and complaining. And that example is that Jesus went to the cross. It wasn't fun, but he went in silence. He did it for you and he did it for me. Secondly is be blameless and innocent. Pursue integrity. Integrity means that every aspect of your life is complete. It's true. Okay. It's honest. It's authentic. You're not one person at school. Okay. Or work or, 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 uh, you know, wherever it may be at church. Okay. And then another at home. You're the same person throughout your entire day. Your character is consistent even when it's hard. And that example that we can look at is Daniel, right? His faith in the midst of a culture that went against following God, even though they told him, don't pray, right? Even though they told him to worship the king, what did he do? He said, no, I'm, I'm going to continue to worship my father. I'm going to continue to pray. And third and lastly, Cooper, come on up here. We're going to close. But lastly, hold fast to the word of life. Know the scripture like your life depended on it. And this isn't just about reading the Bible, okay? It's not about just going home and reading it. This is allowing the Bible to be a filter, a filter through which you view your life. You know, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And what did he do? He quoted scripture. He cried out to God. And that was in the midst of temptation and the suffering that he was going through. There's also this, uh, the chapter four of Philippians that I hold on to in the midst of the anxiety and the stress that I deal with. You know, those fears haven't gone away, but being in my journey, it's a sanctification process to relinquish those fears to Jesus. If you'll stand with me this morning. In all of this, Paul is encouraging you and me to shine like lights, to stand out, to be a source of warmth and comfort, direction, 
to offer guidance and hope to somebody that needs it most, that's living out the gospel. That's the sanctification process. That's being a missionary. If you call yourselves a Christian, you're a missionary. Where Whether you go overseas, you do it right here in Oklahoma City. Wherever you go, you've got to be that missionary. You've got to be shining that light. You have to show that you've been worked inside and out. You've went through that sanctification process. That God has helped you in your spirit, in your flesh. That he's doing everything he can possible to help you be sanctified this morning. Allow the Lord to enter in and change you. It doesn't matter if you're seven or you're 77. God always works. He's always willing. He's always there for you.